Open your Bibles with me to Isaiah 66. We're going to begin a new series this morning, and um, it may be get broken up a little bit. Last week, Pastor Kurt ministered on, on worship, did a great job, true worship. We're going to begin a journey together, and, and we're not, I'm not announcing it yet, I'm not, uh, I'm not declaring it yet, but we're laying a foundation for it this morning. I will tell you this much, it will begin by learning true worship. True worship is not a slow song. True worship is not a slow song. Praise and worship is not two fast songs, and then worship is two slow songs. In fact, worship's not music at all. Music is a tool in worship, but worship is, a re- is, a, is an expression of your love and reverence for God out of your heart. And true worship can only be in spirit and in truth. So we're going to go on a journey together, that, that, but we're going to begin to lay a foundation for it this morning. And that foundation is to learn and understand what the Bible says, this is going to sound strange to you, about authority. Authority. Because the world out there has a concept of authority, and you and I, because we were born out into that world, have been raised, not just raised with it, it saturated our thinking what authority is in the world's eyes. But the Bible says something very different about authority. So I've entitled this series, as you can see, Undercover. Because the purpose of authority in God's, from, in God's kingdom is to provide a protection and a covering. But before we can get into that, we just need to take a little bit, step back a little bit. So God is going to be taking us on a journey together. And we're going to begin by learning about worship. Worship comes, the word worship comes from an old English word, which is worth, W-R-R-T-H, ship. In other words, recognizing the worth or value of someone or something. And we're worshiping things all the time because we're acknowledging and expressing the value that they have to us. It may be things in your life. It may be your remote control, man. It may be a football team. It may be, I mean, I watched a little bit of the World Cup yesterday and I was, I was amazing to look at the fans and they go crazy wearing banners. Of course, we do that here in Foxborough and Fenway Park and things like that. I mean, acting crazy over a soccer team, okay? They're worshiping. They're, they're all, they're all is given to express their joy over men that they'll never meet who are getting paid to do it. But worship, like so many other aspects of God, and this is part of what I want you to see, so many aspects of God, worship is founded on His authority and understanding His authority. And, and there's a verse in Isaiah 66. Now this whole chapter is about true worship and false worship. So we'll just read down through it. We're going to go down to verse 4. God says, God says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Where's the house you're going to build me? God's saying, you know, you're going to build me a house? You're going to do something for me? Wait a minute. Heaven's where I sit, and earth is my footstool. Where's the house that you're going to build for me? Where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand has made. Let's stop there a second. 
you know, we like the beautiful lights and the color and the, and the screens we have now and the, and, the, and the air conditioning, which I've asked them to turn down a little bit so we can get a little, be cooler and comfortable. We like, have got a new podium a couple years ago and this is nice and, and we've got wonderful music. Not only that, we have, we have breath by which we can sing. We've just sang beautiful songs to God and that breath by which we sang them came from God. The, mute, the ability to hear the sounds came from God. Everything we have, everything we have has come from God. One of the things I do almost every morning is, as I begin my prayer time is, Lord, this life within me, I didn't create. You did. Even this life physical life within me, let alone the spiritual life in me, you created it. You created me. And He created you. So what the Scripture is doing here is trying to help us get a perspective on who this God is we're worshiping. Because at one point David... King David said, you know, God, because I don't want to go into the history of it, but the, 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 the um, Ark of the Covenant was in a tent. And, and David lived in this beautiful palace. And he says, this isn't right. I'm living in this nice palace, and your presence is in a tent? That's not right. I want to build a beautiful house for you to live in. And God says, you think I dwell? I'm going to come, all of me is going to dwell in a house? We forget who God is. For these things my hand has made, all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one, talking about people, I will look. Here's what impresses God. Here's what moves God. Here's what gets God's attention. On him who is poor, that's not talking about how much money is in your bank account, it's talking about humility. He who is poor and of a contrite or repentant spirit. So he is, Jesus says to me, we're going to look at this as we go on our journey. Jesus says to me, come unto me. If you're weary and you're worn out, Jesus says, come unto me and learn from me. In other words, look at me, look at what I'm like. For I am meek and lowly of heart. In other words, I don't, I'm not struggling to provide for my, to prove myself. I'm not struggling to be somebody. And if there's anyone that could be somebody, it's the Son of God. But he didn't want to have to prove who he was. We'll look at why later. On him he was poor or humble or meek and of a contrite spirit. And here's what I wanted to see. And who trembles at my word. The question I have for you and the question I have for me is do we tremble at his word? Does His Word have such authority for us that when we read it, it causes us to tremble? The Jews, at Jesus' time, and even before then, one of the names we'll see a little later on, one of the names for God was Yahweh. It was a very personal name for Him. And that was so holy to them, they would not pronounce it. So when they would come to read a scripture that it was in, 
They, it was like an expletive deleted. I know you don't watch those movies, but well, there's an expletive. It wasn't an expletive. They thought that he was so holy that they could not speak his name on their lips. And how easily the name of God rolls off our lips without thinking about, oh my God, what just happened to me? And we don't think anything of it. Who trembles at my word, at the authority, at the weightiness of my word. The word that created all these things. The word that just says, let there be, and there was. That same authority, it created everything that exists, is the authority that's behind this word. We're not going to get there this morning, but Jesus gave to the church all of his authority. How come we're not seeing more of it exercised effectively? He gave us his name. How come when we use his name, we don't see demons flee like they did in the book of Acts? How come we don't see those things happen when we use His name? Maybe it's because His name doesn't have that same authority to us that we're trying to exercise against the devil. Maybe. Let's look at verse 3. He who kills a bull and as if he slays a man, he who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. Now, this sounds a little strange. What he's talking about is the attitude because when they worshipped they brought animals and sacrificed them. That was part of their worship. And he's talking about the attitude they had at which they came. They were taking it for granted. So they were doing what they were doing acts of worship. They were it's as if for us they were singing praises to God. They were doing the outward act, but he says you're treating it as if you were slaying a man, as if you were sacrificing a lamb, as if you're breaking it. In other words, it's as if you were killing something to eat it for some other purpose, not as a sacrifice to me, not as an offering to me. Now, we don't bring animals as an act of worship But the New Testament says we have a sacrifice that we bring to Him. It's the sacrifice of praise. The fruit of your lips giving thanks. How is praise a sacrifice? I don't feel like it today. It's hot. God, you're lucky I got here. We wouldn't say that, but that's sometimes our attitude. And that person over there, I didn't see them the last three weeks, and they finally show up. I've been here every week. We bring the sacrifice of praise unto the house of the Lord. We treat it as ordinary. We treat it as doing some religious act, but our heart's far from them. That was God's issue with Israel at this time. So you're, you're doing outwardly the things of worship, but your heart's not there. Your heart's not worshiping me. Who offers the grain offering as if he offers swine's blood? That was an abomination to the Jews. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol, just as they have chosen their own, just as they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. Verse four. So I will choose their delusions. We don't need to go that far. So what's all this about? Worship. Worship is tied to authority. 
We cannot be true worshipers unless we recognize and are underneath the true authority of God. Because if we're not under His authority and the authority of His Word, it's because we don't really recognize or we've forgotten who He really is. You and I are living in an age when grace is being preached all over the world. And it's wonderful because we come out of, we have this tendency, and I've got to be careful. Like in, the, the, you know what a pendulum is? I've got an old uh, clock in my, in my office in there that has a, that, that's not powered by, by a solar power or not powered by a battery. It's powered by a pendulum that goes back and forth. And that's where the trends are in the, in the body of Christ. So years ago we had a trend over here of legalism. You know, if your hair wasn't right and you wore makeup and you didn't, you know, didn't do all the right things, you know, God was man at you. So we got set free because we discovered about grace. So the pendulum swung over here and now we're free. We're free. But the Bible says you're free to serve. You're free to love. You're free to worship God. We're free to submit to Him because we do it out of our freedom. And so we need to have the pendulum swing because when you're, when you're that free, why do I worship? God's grace covered me. I'm covered. I'm, I'm, I'm saved by grace, brother. Yeah, we're saved by grace unto good works. And those good works are, are unto Him. They're unto Him. I can tell this is going to be a popular series. <laughs> we cannot worship God if we're too familiar with Him. Why would you bow before your best bud? Jesus is my best bud. I thought he was Lord. I just hang out with my best bud. But I worship my Lord. He wants to be intimate with you. He wants an intimate fellowship with you. But that intimate fellowship, you lose... When Moses... Moses probably knew God better than anyone that's ever walked on this earth before Christ came. And Moses' first encounter with God is he sees a bush that's on fire. And he's tending sheep. And he go, pulls aside and says, this is an odd thing, let me see what this is. And as he gets there, he realizes this bush is not being consumed. It's on fire. I don't believe it was a literal fire that you could roast marshmallows on. I believe it was the glory of God, and he didn't know how else to describe it. But he gets near this bush. It speaks to him. And the first thing it says is, take your shoes off sandals because this is holy ground Moses pulled aside because he was curious to see what this was and we come to church sometimes because we're curious but God said to him before in order for me to talk to you you got you got to treat this this is growing ground is holy ground because I'm here Moses several times goes up on a mountain and has a physical encounter with God. And at one point, and this is the, the in our minds sometimes, we, well, the, the reverence of God, that's going to cause me to drive away. No, it, the real reverence of God draws you to Him because that's who He is. Israel's great sin in the wilderness, one of it, was while Moses was on the mountain, they got anxious because they couldn't see their leader. So they go to his brother he'd left in charge, and he failed. And they said, 
We need to have something we can worship. So they took the jewelry, they took the gold that God had provided for them to build the Ark of the Covenant to worship Him with, and they made a golden calf out of it, and they called that the God who brought them out of Egypt. They didn't say it was Satan. They didn't decide to worship Baal or Satan. They, they decided to make their own God that they would worship. First time I ever heard that John Bevere was here, sitting right over there. It scared me because I realized how easy that is to form the image of God that I want Him to be. And that's no different than what they did. They made God into who they wanted Him to be and then worshipped Him. How can you worship something you've made? How can we worship something we've created or we formed? God at one point told Moses, now you're going to go build altars, but here's my restrictions. You can build altars out of stone, but you can't cut the stone. Because the moment you cut the stone, you're going to worship me on, you profane it. Profane means you've made it ordinary like the rest of us and not like God. Why would that be true? He says, you can build, you can sacrifice to me on altars made of stone. You can sacrifice to me on altars made of, on dirt. Because the moment man takes a chisel or a hammer and strikes that stone, man begins to form that stone into the image he wants it to be and because the rock itself was made by God. Just take your shoes off. This is holy ground. And then God could begin to speak to him. So whatever's familiar to us, too familiar to us, we can't worship. It's an amazing scene after Jesus has been filled with the Holy Spirit and goes into the wilderness to be tested by Satan and comes back of the power of the Spirit and goes around in Capernaum and Galilee doing many mighty miracles. And then he goes back to his own hometown. Mark's account says he could do no mighty miracles because of their unbelief. Why? Because as Jesus said, when he went back to his hometown, they said, wait a minute. We hear about these miracles this guy's doing, but this is, this is Joseph's son. We saw the kid grow up. We remember the first table he tried to make, and it, it didn't balance out. We remember him running around as a kid. Good kid. This is Joseph and Mary's son. That's what it says. And it says, he could do no mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. Their familiarity to refusing to recognize this is the Messiah, the Son of God, prevented God from using him to do the same things in Nazareth that he was doing all around. We're going to see this morning that reverence of His authority is tied to other things that we want. And the reason we're not seeing them may be that we're really lost touch with His authority. We used to have a requirement, which we haven't given up, we just are redoing some things, that if you were going to have a child in SCA or you were going to be involved in ministry here, you had to go through a course called Spiritual Authority. And actually the full title of it was Understanding Authority in the Church. 
And that's essentially what I'm going to teach you. The problem is that we're living in a world that perceives authority upside down. The world perceives authority as the right that I have to boss you around. And since the fall, nobody wants to be bossed around. We don't even want God bossing us around. We don't want anybody telling us to do. And especially here in New England. I mean, isn't that where independence was birth? Up here and in Philadelphia? I grew up down there and now I live up here. I'm saturated with independence. <laughs> we don't need anybody. I was, oh Lord. Right, we bought something at BJ's yesterday and it was a big box and it was all be beaten up. So I wanted to get the one that I just didn't want a box beaten up because I didn't want this, whatever's in it to be beaten up. So I put it back on the carriage and I wheel this thing around and I'm trying to get this thing back on the stack. I get it down, I get a new one out and I'm getting, and people come up to help me and says, no, I don't need any help. And they get in the carriage and I go through the checkout line. I'm getting out trying to get it in my car and this nice man comes along and says, can I help you? And I no, I can do this myself. Sounds like a two-year-old, doesn't it? And, and my wife looks at me, why'd you do that? Because I want to show them that I can do it myself. And we bring that over to God. Lord, I, I want to do that. Because we don't want to be dependent on Him. Unless we really get in over our heads. So we like to measure how much dependent we are. I better be careful. I can really get sidetracked there. So we, we live in a world, we've even grown up in a world, not, a just, not just in the world, it's in our flesh. Because one of the things we'll see is what happened in the fall was rebellion. I don't mean last year. I mean when man fell in the garden. It was all rebellion from God. And it was, it was brought here by Lucifer who rebelled against God and became Satan. And he tries to bring that same rebellion wherever he goes. It's rebellion against God. He's recruiting rebels. He's recruiting rebels to form an army together rebel against God and His kingdom. And without knowledge, we're easily recruited. But I want to focus on, oh, when you're, so when you're born again, one of the things we're commanded to do, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, we're commanded, first of all, to present our bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then to not be conformed to this world, but be, be, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we're going to begin a journey of renewing our mind to what the Bible says about authority, not what the world says about authority. All right? Let's go to Psalm 91. What in the world does that have to do with it? Well, you'll see. Just go with me and you'll see. This beloved psalm. I remember back in... after 9-11, <laughs> I, I taught a course in our Christian school this year to the 7th and 8th graders and I made reference to 
And they kind of looked at me. And then I realized they either were born in 9-11 or they were just babies in 9-11. Boy, is time going fast. <laughs> this was a beloved psalm then. It's a psalm of protection. It's a psalm of provision. So I want to read down through it and then we'll go back and highlight some things. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God and Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, like a hen, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night or the hour that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Only with your eyes will you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil, listen to that, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands, the angels' hands, they shall bear you up, lest you even dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread on the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, but shall trample underfoot. Because He set His love on me, says the Lord, therefore I will deliver Him. I will set Him on high, because He's known my name. He shall call on me, and I will answer Him. I will be with Him in trouble. I will deliver Him and honor Him, and with long life I will satisfy Him and show Him my salvation. Wow! Amazing promises! And for the day and age you and I live in, these are critical for us. So let's go look at some of them. Let's go back to verse 3. Surely, certainly, He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. That's talking about sna- Satan. A fowler was a, someone that caught birds. And they would catch them with traps. And he said, certainly he will deliver you from Satan's traps. The Bible tells us to not be ignorant of his devices. Uh, Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, says that, that, that he is, that, that, that put on the armor of God because so we may be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks, the deceits of the evil one. But God's promised that he will deliver you from his snare. Be interesting when we get to heaven to find how many snares you were walking into and God saved you from and you don't even know it. Let's look at another promise. Verse 4. He will cover you with His feathers. That's like a mother hen. And under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. So things thrown at you, weapons thrown at you, the shield was a big thing that stood about six feet high from here and covered somebody that hid under it. A buckler was like Captain America's thing, the, the round, like a garbage can lid. And it was held on here for a sword fight. So God's saying, I will be your shield. I will protect you. Amazing promises. We're living in a dangerous society. We had it, and we're going to do it down the road. We had drills this last week. We had them earlier this year. Intruder drills in the office. What do we do if some intruder comes in with a gun? Why would we have to practice that? We're going to do it here. So we know what to do if something happens. Why do we have to do that? Because we're living in a very dangerous world. There was just a shooting down in Annapolis. 
So are we as Christians to be running around scared and panicked? We can prepare, but do we run around afraid? No, the greatest protection we have is what we're reading today. I've heard many testimonies of people on 9-11 that, that worked in the, in the World Trade Towers that something in them told them not to go to work. Something in them delayed them so they didn't get there on time. And it was God preserving them and protecting them. Verse 5, I love this one. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. You ever notice terror is worse at nighttime? Or the arrow that flies by day. Verse 6, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness. There's pestilence out there. Cancer is a pestilence. I hate cancer. Not just because I've had to deal with it and overcome it, but I've seen what it's done to people. It's taken many people out of this congregation. Some of them were older, but that's not God's will. That's not how He wants you to go with your body consumed by cancer. That's demonic. It's a pestilence. Well, the destruction that lays waste at noonday. I love verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Ever notice when you're going through a trial, especially a healing, the devil will show you all the people that believe God and failed and died? Well, this one tried. They believe God and it didn't work for them. I go to this first. It doesn't matter about, because a thousand may fall, a thousand, ten thousand in my right hand. It doesn't, but what's that got to do with me? It's not going to come near me. Amazing promises in here. We've got to move on quickly. Verse 10, No evil shall befall you, nor any plague come near your dwelling. That's the one I use for cancer. Nor any plague come near your dwelling. Verse 11, He's going to give His angels charge over you. Verse 15, He'll keep you from trouble. But there's one thing we didn't read yet and go back over. There's conditions to this. I said, Pastor, this isn't working in my life. Well, let's go look at the conditions. Let's go back to verse 1. He who on Sunday comes comes to the secret place. He who twice a month comes to the secret place. No, he who dwells in the secret place, which means it's not an obvious place. It's not a place that, that everybody would see and run to. The secret place of the Most High. What's that mean? In Hebrew, that's El Elyon. God has many names, and there are four of His names that are used here. And they all have to do with His authority. He who dwells in the secret place of El Elyon, that name means the Most High authority, the ultimate authority, numero uno, the one from whom everything proceeds. Under the shadow of the Almighty. Notice to get under the shadow, you've got to get up close to something. Almighty, that's El Shaddai. Oh, that's, the, that's God who, who's more than enough. It literally means the many-breasted one. The one who's ultimate in His provision. Verse 2. Third name. I will say of the Lord. That's Yahweh. That's the name I referred to before. That's His covenant name. It's when Moses said to, is to, to, to the burning bush, All right, you're telling me to go to, 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 to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You're going to tell me, first of all, to the elders of Israel, and tell them they should follow me, and say, How, wh- why should we follow you? Who told you? Well, I saw a bush in the desert, <laughs> and it was on fire, and it didn't burn, and it spoke to me. Oh, really? 
And what else were you smoking? <laughs> so who am I going to tell them sent me? What's your name? And God says, here's my name. I am. Okay, I know that. I, I am what? No, no. I am. I understand that. I am what? No, I, I am. I just am. In fact, here's I am. I am that I am. In other words, I'm the self-existent one. Everything else exists because I created it, but nothing created me. I'm the self-existent one. So I'm El Elyon. I'm the highest authority. I am El Shaddai. I am the source of all power. I am the source of provision. I am the Lord. I am, I am, I am the self-existent one. He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. That's Elohim. That's just God. There are four names of God. He's saying that you must dwell under the protection of them. And each of these names deals with some aspect of God's authority. Perhaps the reason we're not seeing this protection in our lives is that we're not dwelling in the secret place of being under His authority. And we've just read where God gives us an indication of how well I'm under His authority of whether I have a poor and contrite spirit. In other words, am I humble? Am I teachable? And do I tremble at the reading of His Word? Not am I afraid of it, not is it so holy I, gotta, I won't reopen it, but does it have that kind of authority in me that when I read something, it confronts me? Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the bones and the marrow and the thoughts and intents of the heart. And everything's laid open to the God with whom we have to do. There's nothing hidden from God. And the good news is he goes on to say that because he says after that, we have a high priest and so we can come boldly and openly to a throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. But you have to come openly, worship in spirit and in truth openly to God. But we can't be open to him if we're hiding from who he is. And part of who he is is his authority and who he is. But what Psalm 91 teaches us, which is what the thrust of this message is, is God has a protection. See, the image on the board here shows somebody in a rainstorm under an umbrella. Psalm 91 is an umbrella. The authority of God is an umbrella to protect us from things we're not capable of understanding. We're going to look at this in more detail as we go down the road with this series But when God created man, you can learn so much about what God is like and what God wants to do in Genesis 1 and 2. Because it's the way God made things the way He wanted to. He was generous. He made a special dwelling place for them, a garden. And it was called, He called it Eden. Eden means place of delight. He made a delightful place for them to live in. Everything cooperated with them. They could enjoy anything. They were free to do whatever they wanted to do. There's only one thing they couldn't do. There's a tree they couldn't eat of. 
And I don't think it's an, it's an accident that the name of the tree was the knowledge of good and evil. Because God was protecting them. Because God knows how He made us. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows our limitations because He made us. <laughs> I have a relative that rented a four-wheel drive car, an off-wheel car, decided to go off-road off with it. It was, it was a four-wheel drive car, but it wasn't an off-road car. And discovered there were places he tried to take it, the manufacturer did not design it to go. And he got stuck and had to be pulled out. He had to humble himself and call for help. Oh boy, would that preach. The manufacturer knows the limits of the vehicle because they know how they designed it. God knows your limits and my limits. He knows what we're designed to handle. And so God knew that man is not capable of handling the knowledge of good and evil apart from God. And we're going to get into that and look exactly where Satan came to tempt them, that God was keeping something from them, to get them to exercise their own judgment of what's good and evil apart from what God said. And we've been struggling as a result of that decision ever since. Hebrews 13. So God's authority is intended as a protection for us. Years ago, as most of you know, I was a lawyer in Massachusetts, and I didn't do a lot of court work. I did it one specifically specialty. But I was noticing that a lot of the older courthouses, when I would go into them, the newer ones don't. That's, I think that's significant. They, a number of them had this phrase engraved in stone over it. Obedience to the law is freedom. It's not there anymore. They don't build those into the courthouses anymore. Obedience to the law is freedom. Romans 13 let every soul, let every soul, let every soul, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So what this is, Paul is saying here, he's writing this to Christians. He's saying, authority on this earth comes from God. God has established authorities, on governing authorities. And there's no real authority unless it comes from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, I'm going to tell you my opinion here, because when I say my opinion, when I'm getting from something, I'm not confident whether the Word says this or not, because there's others that think differently. I'll tell you it's my, my... I don't believe that Paul is saying everybody that's in office got to put there. Because if that's so, why do we need to pray? 
What I believe he's saying is the, the position and the authority of that position God established. What Paul's saying here is authority, whether it's political authority, whatever true authority is, God established that authority. Therefore, how we respond to that authority is important. And we'll see why in a minute. Verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God. See, now we started out talking about God's authority. But now what we're beginning to see is God doesn't just keep His authority in heaven. God has delegated authority to positions or people in our lives, in the earth. Starts out with parents. Now I realize that in our society and in this, even in this room, we have many broken families, many broken situations. But God's plan is that a child, we talked about this on Father's Day, that a child would be conceived and brought forth into a family where there's a loving father and a loving mother, loving with each, love each other, love the child, and most of all, love God. And God's authority would... So a child's first introduction to authority is his parents. Why does a child need parents? Because a child is born with a will that's not submitted to God or to anything except self. Mine, 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 mine. One of the first words a two-year-old learns, two letters, begins with an N and ends with an O. No! When they do that, what are they doing? They're discovering they have their own will. When they're an infant, they can be picked up and put down wherever you want them. And they begin to walk. I love it when parents were the first child. They just began to walk. Your life just changed. (laughs) No longer do they stay where you put them. They go where they now want to go, just as Jesus told Peter. (laughs) I never mind. No! I don't want to! And yet, we still do the same thing. I don't feel led. The Lord's dealing with me about this. That means I'm disobeying Him. Ooh. Because if He's dealing with me, I know what He's telling me to do, I just don't want to do it. We won't go there, because that'll get all of us. Verse 2. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Verse 3. For rulers are not intended, are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid of the authority? Then do what's good. Just obey. And you will have praise from the same. For it's God, He's God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain, for He is God's minister, avenging to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Authority is for our protection. Because if we just did what we wanted to do, we'd all get in trouble. If you just drove as fast as you wanted to drive, well, what keeps you in check? There may be a policeman around the corner. I may get caught. It may cost me money. And so God's, in God's kingdom, 
His authority is a cover and a protection for us. What we're going to see is not only is this true in society out there, it's true spiritually. One of the biggest concerns I've got for the church today, it's just so easy to go to church online. It's so easy to go to church. The, the average committed Christian comes twice a month at best and considers that consistent. Yet we're living in a very dangerous spiritual time. There's so much confusion out there, and it's available on your phone, it's available on TV, it's available to you. All kinds of voices are out there. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, there are many voices out there, and none of them are without some importance or significance. So how do you discern? Because we're just all led by the Spirit. Well, I feel led to go here this week. No, I feel led to go here this week. That was good last week. He was good, but he's not on right now. So I'm, I feel led to come over here and, and listen to this. Oh, this one's really got it. I feel led. Nah, 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 he's losing the anointing. I feel led to go over here. Then who are you under? I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning. You're here. But who are we under? Because God has placed spiritual authorities in our life. Not to boss us around, but to provide protection. Spiritual protection. Because there are all kinds of spiritual dangers out there. So this picture of somebody under an umbrella, what if they decide to put the umbrella down? What's going to happen to them? They're going to get soaked. You can say that. That's okay. You're going to get soaked. Okay? And they come home and say, Oh, that umbrella failed. It didn't protect me at all. You've got to be under it. You've got to be under it. But you know that umbrella limits you? You've got to stay under the umbrella. On golf courses, they, good golf courses, they'll have a shelter. Because when, it, when a thunderstorm comes, standing out in the middle of a puddle with a piece of metal in your hand is not the smartest place to be in an electrical storm. So they'll sound the claxton and noise, and you're supposed to get, if you can't get back to the club, you're supposed to get under one of the shelters. It's a protection. And the Word of God tells us that authority that God has ordained is a protection for us. A protection for us. We have the Lord's table today, and I want to make sure we have time to do that. Matthew 8. I want to show you the last two things before we... This is just the introduction this morning. I want to show you, in the, in the Word of God, we're aware of, we're aware of faith. We want to be, we're faith Christian Center. We're, we're aware of, of some, some of God's basic principles of who He is. But we don't realize how closely they're tied to authority. Matthew chapter 8. It's a story of the centurion who comes to Jesus. Because his, his master, his, his, um, his, his uh, uh, servants lying sick at home. And Jesus says to him, I'll come. I don't want to get... That's so, he didn't even ask him to come. He says, I'll come and heal him. He said, no, no, no. You, you stay there. I'm not worthy for you to come under my home. But you don't need to. You just say the word here, and my servant will be healed over there. Why do I know that? Because like you, listen carefully... Like you, I am a man under authority and a man in authority. He says, I am also under authority. In other words, he recognizes that Jesus was someone under authority. 
I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. My only purpose is to carry out my father's will. My food, John 4, is to do the will of my father and to finish it. Jesus was totally submitted to his father's will. And he's the freest man that's ever walked on the earth and walked in the greatest authority. And this centurion says, I recognize you're somebody under authority and therefore you're somebody in authority. But he says, I know, the reason I know, I, the reason I recognize it is because I'm also somebody under authority and somebody in authority. He was a Roman officer. And here, then he defines authority. He says, I say to my soldiers, go and they go. And I say, come and they come. I say to my servant, do. In other words, they just do what I say do. They simply obey me shows that they're under authority. Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled. And he said to those who follow him, Assuredly, I say to you, I've not found such great... What? I've not found such great... What? He's equating faith with submission to authority. Jesus is. Because how can we have confidence that God's going to do what He said He's going to do if we don't have respect and honor the authority of that Word? We want, to be, we want that Word to work through us when it's things we want, but we don't want to be under that Word. I've used this example before, but it's kind of like on, on a hot day like today, you need to water your flowers. So you pick up the hose, you unroll it, and you go out to the flowers and you, you, you squeeze the, the, the nozzle and you go, and nothing's coming out. So we look at it and say, well, I guess that doesn't work, and we throw it down. Instead, we ought to turn around and see if it's connected to the faucet. Because if it's not connected to the faucet, you can't accuse the hose of not working if it's not, so the, in order for that water to get to the flowers, it's got to be able to flow through the hose. In order to flow through the hose, at the other end, the hose has to be connected to the faucet or spigot or whatever you call it, wherever you came from. That's common sense. But somehow when it comes to exercising faith in God's Word, which is exercising the authority that's behind that Word, we forget that principle, and we're expecting the power and authority to come out when we're not connected to it. So faith and authority are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. John chapter 14. That comes before Romans. John 14. I love these verses. Verse 14. This is Jesus saying. It's in red in my Bible, so Jesus. Listen to this. Amazing. If you ask anything in my name. John 14, 14. If you ask anything in my name. That's one of the most astounding promises in the Bible. This is Jesus saying this. Jesus, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do you need anything today? 
God's listening. <laughs> Do you have any need in your life, in your family? Do you have any needs? Jesus is saying, if you ask it in my name, I'll do it. I'll back you up. I'll back up my name. Verse 15. If you love me, the the, uh, New American Standard says, you will keep my commandments. So we we want Jesus to do whatever we ask him what he's saying here is, here, here, here's, here's the relationship we're to have. You ask anything of me, I'll make sure it's done. But if I ask anything of you, you've got to do it for me. It's two ways. But notice he ties it to love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me. So not only is faith tied to a submission to authority... But love is tied to submission to authority. So when we sing, God, I love you, tell God, I love you. And God understands the sincerity of our heart. But somewhere there's got to be growth that if we love Him, we're going to do what He says. If I love my wife, I'm going to listen to her. I'm going to listen to what she needs, what she wants. So love is tied to authority. You cannot love Him apart from His authority. And you can't walk in faith apart from His authority. And here's... It's so easy, and I do this too. I'm preaching to myself. It's so easy to come and hear messages or sing songs and have the best of intentions. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'll give everything to you. I surrender all. I'll surrender to you. God has very practical ways of testing that. God doesn't test us to prove we're wrong. God tests us to show where we really are. Because we like to think we're someplace we're not. I love what Ed Cole used to say. We judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. Well, I meant, I really mean it in my heart. And we judge others by saying, well... Obviously, their heart's wrong. Look, they're, they're weak. They're slumbering. So God has a very practical way to show us how we respect and love His authority. And it's this. God puts human authorities in our lives. And here's the challenge with that. Oh, I, I'll submit to God's authority because God loves me perfectly. God's perfect. But I'm not submitting to a man. I'm not submitting to a woman. I'm not submitting to a person. They can be fail. They can fail. Well, they will. They're not perfect. No, they're not. But our response to an authority God's put in our life has nothing to do with their qualifications. That's an excuse. Our response to authority God's put in our life has everything to do with what we think of God because He's the one that put them in our life. And I've had to deal with this because many times I've been in here and said, God, you made a mistake. I'm not the person that should have been here. I don't have this. I don't do this. I don't know how to do this. Blah, 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 blah. And I've had God stop me and say, will you stop questioning my judgment? I put you here. So I'm doing the same thing with my authority that you may be doing with my authority. Questioning it. Because I know myself better than you know me. I know my weaknesses. 
I know how I struggle with certain things. I'm not talking about sins, but just... I'm like, I'm like you. I struggle with things sometimes. I'll get discouraged sometimes. I had a real pity party yesterday. I tried to invite you all, but you didn't come. <laughs> and God didn't get me out of it by saying, Oh, John, you've tried so hard. He jerked the slack out of me by calling me back to what He put me here to do. Because He's the loving Father. We're going to have to end here. But this is the foundation. So how can we do this? Because we need to understand what the Bible means by authority. Because it's not what's meant by authority out there. In the world, we think authority is the right given to one person, the boss, another person around. That's not the purpose of authority that God has created. And when, I, when we have some understanding of it, then we'll, it's easier to submit to it and to trust it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning. We thank You for Your Word. Your Word is strong at times, and Your Word tells us that those that You regard are those that tremble at Your Word. And I venture to say this morning, that's few of us in here this morning really tremble at the authority of Your Word. But we're here this morning, and we want to grow and learn. We want to receive Your loving correction because we trust You and know that You love us. So I pray that You would take the Word that we've heard today and the Holy Spirit in us would begin to guide us and to direct us and make that become real to us. That as we go forward with this, Lord, we'll learn to come under the protection and umbrella of Your loving authority and Your protection. In Jesus' name.